You're listening to Dave and Dia, a podcast about basketball, life, and the Portland Trailblazers. Please keep all hands and arms inside the window and welcome your hosts, Dave Decker and Dia Miller. Welcome back to Dave and Dia, our Blazers Edge podcast. I am Dia Miller. I'm here with Dave Deckard for episode number four. Dave, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great, but I'm a little bit, I don't know. I'm a little bit out of my tree this week. Uh, I have two jobs, uh, one of which involves uh, a, an exceptional amount of stress this time of year. Uh, in my other job, here's what I did today. We wrote and recorded three separate children's services to get ahead for Christmas, including full-on puppet shows and songs and all kinds of stuff like that. And then uh, this uh, tomorrow we got to record two normal services, and then there's a lot of other Christmas stuff to catch up on, and that's just with like my what my right eye is watching. Now, my left eye is over here seeing okay carmelo anthony and brandon roy and a tug of war over the number seven and james harden sitting out of training camp and what will Derek <laughs> jones jr do with his first minutes as a trailblazer and robert covington too and all of a sudden i'm not cross-eyed i'm like the opposite of cross-eyed like my eyes are going all <laughs> kinds of different directions and i think i'm handling it but it might not be the I mean, best time here. to ask me how i'm doing <laughs> You're here. You're here. And that's what matters right now. You know, you've always, you've always got Blazers basketball and Friday. We start Friday. No, <laughs> that's a, okay. First of all, uh, you, you can't, that's, that's, I, I'm not ready. Uh, but second <laughs> of all, that we start preseason on Friday. I mean, I get it, but preseason. Okay. So the first five minutes, totally exciting. Hey, number zero, Damian Lillard, or letter zero, whatever it is, right? And everybody's like, yay, and then, okay, what does Robert Covington look like, and how high can Derek Jones Jr. jump? Five minutes into it, you're going, okay, let's get on to the regular season. You haven't made it through a, a preseason with me yet, clearly, because I am kind of like a kid on Christmas Eve when it comes to basketball starting up and for me preseason is starting up i know that i gotta kind of take a step back it doesn't count my nature is you put them in the uniforms you put them on the court you put them up against other teams and i'm instantly feeling this like drive to win and i have to remind myself that this doesn't matter yet it's just we're just testing the waters we're just checking everybody out we're just kind of getting a feel for what this is going to look like this year and so that being said, it's almost even more exciting because you get to just really enjoy watching them play. Oh, but I don't enjoy watching them. Okay, first of all, <laughs> is there anything you hope to get out of this preseason other than the enjoyment of bas basketball? What, what concrete things do you want to see in this preseason from the Blazers? I always just get excited to see different combinations. You know, I mean, we obviously talked, I think it was last week, about the starting lineup that we've got. Stotts has talked about it. So it's fairly set in stone, I would imagine. But for me, I think we're so deep in a sense this year that it's going to be fun to watch different combinations of players out there playing with each other. So that's kind of what I'm hoping for. I'm really hoping for preseason that we get to see different combinations than we're used to seeing. I'm excited. Obviously, everybody's excited to see these new guys and see them, how they fit in you know, what their skills are. Derek Jones Jr. looks like he's going to be really fun to watch. 
You could say that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the man can fly. I was watching a clip today that the trailblazers posted on Instagram and, and you can see in the background, you can see Harry Giles and Rodney hood and their faces watching him dunk. And it's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, the slam dunk championships would clue you in on that. That was, that was this year, right? He is the reigning slam dunk champion. Yeah. That's something to have. If Mike Rice were here, he would say, this is territory that even Clyde Drexler and Jerome Kersey could not touch. It's true. It's true. It's going to be fun. I mean, basketball is such a fun sport to watch, and it's always fun to watch them dunk. But to watch them dunk with style, <laughs> that's going to be, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. He makes it look easy. He makes me think that I can dunk, and I'm 5'2". <laughs> I gave up the illusion of me dunking long ago, and I'm 6'2", so I mean, you're ahead of me. Perhaps if I got on your shoulders, then I could dunk. <laughs> I, I would probably fall, so I don't think we'd make it very far. Then we'd be a trailblazer center at that point. Which, we would be something. <laughs> yeah, which brings up my nine-word summation of what I want to see out of the preseason. Don't get hurt. Don't get hurt. Don't get hurt. I mean, that's as long as that happens, I am good. You can start five Harry Gileses for all I care. Nothing against Harry. I love you guys. Just look, I don't need to see everybody. I don't need to see everybody all the time. I just need to see everybody be okay. You know, and I think especially as Trailblazer fans, we're so injury prone, it seems. At least last year we were. I think everybody's going to kind of be sitting on the edge of of our seats. I mean, I remember even at the end of last season when they were in the bubble and Dame messed up his finger and I was just sitting there like this cannot be happening. And I mean, it ended up not being a super serious injury and he's clearly fine. But in the moment when it's happening, you're sitting there and it's almost like your life flashes before your eyes and you're wondering, did we make a terrible choice coming into the bubble and letting him play? Like, what did what were we doing? You know, and so I feel like that every time anybody goes down, I have PTSD. Every time someone goes down and doesn't immediately hop back up, it's just like, oh my gosh, I hope they're okay. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, that's Trailblazer's legacy. And especially since we can't have nice things, right? Every time we have nice things, (laughs) something happens. So it's like, okay, I'm even okay if they go like one and three in the preseason, get off to a two and two start, just fool everybody, stay under the radar, do okay, hit it, you know, somewhere around mid-January or February or so, and then, you know, escape from the injury bug. But seriously, that's all I care about. Honestly, I think we'll be fine. We're able to to absorb more injuries this year. And I think if it's anybody but Lillard and Nurkic that the Blazers are going to be okay for a while at least. So, hey, you know, this is the best season imaginable for that aspect as well. So look, it's going to be a good one. I just hope we get to enjoy it fully. And not just injury too, but with COVID, you know, that's a whole other thing too. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, you look at the possibility of somebody getting COVID and and having to be out for several games. And I think looking at our roster this year, at least I feel pretty confident in our depth. So hopefully if that happens, we'll, we'll, we'll be okay as well. 
Well, the problem being, of course, it spreads like wildfire, but knock on wood, we're, we're looking at a vaccine that's been administered in some places already, at least the very, very, very beginning stages. So who knows, perhaps by spring, this story will be different. And perhaps if this becomes a serious issue that they'll be able to delay and or stretch out things a bit, those are the hopes. But yeah, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't concerned. It's not just for the health of the players. It's just we're we're still out of control with this. We've not done a good job managing it. The NBA, ironically, was the one sports league who pulled it off and did it. And now the spread is just as bad, if not worse. And we're going out of the bubble. No bubble. We're going around the country and traveling. I understand there's limited travel. I understand there's protocols. I still don't quite see how this is going to work. And ethically, I got to tell you, there's still a little itch back there. But A, they did it last year. So let's see what they can do, you know, because I doubted them last year too. And and the league pulled it off. And B, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. So, hey, but I, I do offer up prayers and thoughts and hopes that these people, everyone in involved, not just the players, coaching staffs, families, everybody will be able to dodge that virus and be able to come through the season successfully with their health intact. Yeah, you know, I I mean, I have a lot of confidence in the NBA and how they handled the bubble was a perfect experiment. I mean, nobody got not one positive test the entire time. And especially going through being in the middle of the world that we're in right now with COVID and dealing with this, that is really hopeful for me. That gives me hope. And I think I have a lot of confidence in the fact that they are listening to the players. They're listening to the recommendations of, the experts, you know, I think yes. there you go. They're doing a good job thinking through things. I saw a press release or something that came out that was talking about the different rules they were going to have for travel and like, They couldn't be at certain places and they could only eat at approved places and things like that. And it's like, you know, they're really taking precautions. And I don't know the ins and outs of like the uh, NFL or, or Major League Baseball or any of that. I don't know the ins and outs of theirs, but I feel like the NBA has got a handle on it. And if anyone is to be trusted with this, it's them. So I'm hopeful. Yeah, I don't disagree. I'm hopeful as well. It just seems like... Huh. This is not exactly the bubble. Look, they had three months or more, well, more like five to, to prepare for that, right? And they did nothing but. I mean, that was their one focus was to get back, to get back safely in the midst of this health pandemic. And they did what was necessary in order to do it. The feeling's a little different here, honestly, going into this season. It's like, well, we didn't even know there was going to be a season officially till about four weeks ago. We didn't have a schedule until last week, and we still only have the first half of it. It feels like a lot of stuff is getting crammed in here. You heard reports of teams getting multi-dozen page guidelines and almost no time to read or implement them. Obviously, they have some time now since, but it's like, okay, this is honest. How's this all going to work? I think the intent is there. I think that the history is there. I think they deserve the benefit of the doubt, but I am worried a little bit about the execution of this. And, uh, you know, we'll have to see what happens. I'll be curious to see, look, if a person tests positive, Again, how many people have they been in contact with already? The the one thing I will say, and maybe this is a naive statement, but I feel like, you know, we just had as a team, we, you know, me and the team, um, our first, (laughs) our first positive COVID tests 
since this all happened, at least that we know of, but I'm assuming, you know, in, in the scheme of all of this. And I think, you know, a lot of other teams have had him. And, and Portland, if I'm not mistaken, is one of the last teams to actually have somebody test positive. I think these guys take this really seriously. We have a culture of guys that are not going out and breaking rules and partying and being where they're not supposed to be. These guys take it seriously and they're responsible and they do things the way that they're supposed to do. And I have a lot of respect for that. Now, that's not saying that everybody who gets COVID is doing things that they're not supposed to do. It's not completely on those people, obviously. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that I think that it says a lot about our guys and our leadership and our organization that they've been able to um, keep it to this. I, and, and it makes me hopeful that, you know, that these that they will continue that and that we will stay healthy this season. Yeah, I don't disagree. And I could see a future in which the players play, come home, basically go home and remain reasonably. I mean, they're not quite as quarantined or isolated as many of us are, but they're also, frankly, better off than a lot of us are, because I should say many of our listeners uh, don't have the luxury of not going into work. I mean, so they're out there. So in that sense, it's not different. And I think... If you're talking about the Trailblazers in isolation, I would tend to agree with you. The question I have is, are all 400 NBA players, 450 NBA players of that same ilk and following that same thing? And if not, there's a lot of contact, a lot of physical activity. That said, I think we've made our point. I'm not without nerves or ethical qualms, but the league at this point probably deserves a chance to show what they can do. Yeah, I think it's definitely going to be an interesting season. I want to talk about Mello. Mello and Brandon Roy. And the number seven is a hot button issue right now. Man, people are fired up over a number. I'm assuming that you've seen some of the stuff that's circulating about this. Yeah, it was big over the weekend. Even as we record this, it's still... It's like the passive-aggressive latent whatever is percolating up. So, yeah, that was fascinating. I did not expect that level of reaction to that topic. Yeah, for people who are listening who maybe don't know what we're referring to, Carmelo Anthony has been number seven for most of his career, I believe. It's kind of part of his branding. You know, he hashtags things M-E-7-0, uses a seven instead of the L. That's kind of been part of his identity. But when he came to Portland... Number seven was not available. The team did not make it an available number to him. So he obviously chose double zero. That's what he's been playing with. And so there's been this whole, you know. Let me ask you this. Could he not hashtag himself C-A-R-M-E-L-O-O and get the same same effect? He could. He could forget even the beginning. He could be hashtag M-E-L-O-O. I mean, I'm sure there's all kinds of things. I think numbers, you know, they're significant. And so people were outraged one way or another. Let him wear it. Don't let him wear it. Whatever. Well, again, for those that maybe don't know what we're talking about, number seven was Brandon Roy's number. You know, there's a whole lot of people saying we need to retire the number, but it is not currently retired. So Brandon Roy just recently came out and said like, hey, yeah, you know what? I'd be honored if Melo wore the number. So what do you think, Dave? What do you think about all this? I mean, which issue are you talking about? I mean, the Trailblazers, if they're going to retire it, need to get off their rear ends and 
do that or at least say that they're going to do that. This idea that we're kind of holding a number, but we haven't done it yet. Okay, well, make that explicit then and say, yeah, nobody gets this. Everybody knows who comes to the franchise, right? If they're not going to retire it, let it go. I personally don't care. I think it means more to the players and that's kind of their business and the franchise's business. I just kind of wish they would handle it. The part of it that shocked me was not that far along the kind of amnesia when it comes to Brandon Roy's career, the absolute turnaround that he was at the forefront of. And yes, LaMarcus Aldridge was talented. And yes, Greg Oden was hyped, but neither one of them was the same as Brandon Roy. He did that. And he is among the most prominent trailblazers in franchise history. He didn't get to complete that. He didn't win a ton in the playoffs. So people apparently have forgotten. But man, if you could go back there and watch that again, you would remember real quick. Yeah, you know, I I tend to agree with you on this. I think this is going to be a rare occurrence for us to really agree on these things. But I think for as sentimental and emotionally attached as I am to things, I really don't care one way or another about numbers. I get the honor of retiring numbers, but I also kind of think like, let people wear the numbers they want to wear. I was having this conversation on Twitter and someone said, well, if you want to wear 22, would you be fine with that? I was like, yeah, I'd be fine with that. It really is not who it is. And I agree with you. I think Brandon Roy, if we're talking about retiring numbers, his number should be retired. But until it is, let some let people let it be worn. It's really interesting how history affects the way people view players. You know, I feel like that a little bit even with Clyde. Like he was so loved and then he went off to Houston and now there's a whole group of people that don't really remember him being loved. They just remember him leaving for Houston. And I think that tends to happen with players and it seems to have happened with Brandon Roy. I'm with you. I think, you know, if you're going to retire the number, retire the number, but if you're not, let them wear it. I was a kid who grew up wearing number 22 from the time I was in first grade all the way through high school. When I played basketball, I wore number 22 and it was because of Clyde Drexler. So to me, I actually really like seeing these guys wear it. And sometimes when you'll hear in interviews or things like that, that they've chosen a number because of a certain player. And I always think that's really cool. And it's got to be really cool for that player too. And I know that Brandon Roy said, you know, that I think it was his niece was a big fan of Mello. And so he thought it would be really cool for Mello to wear his number. And I just think that stuff like that is, is really cool. And when you start retiring numbers and taking them away and taking away that option, I think you kind of miss out. Yeah. I think if you're going to retire though, more than four, Brandon Roy's has to be retired for this franchise. And I understand also the Blazers have retired a lot of numbers. If they had a scrimmage game with everybody at full health of all the retired players from all the NBA franchises, the Blazers bench would not be the strongest. That said, I understand why those numbers, I don't want to take anything away from those players, many of whom are still in the local community. I get it. But when you're looking at like, you know, Wilt Chamberlain as your sixth <laughs> sixth man on your all-retired team versus, I don't know, we won't even name them, but some of the numbers that are up there for Portland, there's not a comparison. It makes me wonder why they haven't retired it. I wonder if there's a reason or if it's just it just hasn't happened. I don't know, but I agree with you. If we're retiring numbers, which clearly the Blazers are, because like you said, there's a whole lot of retired numbers, Brandon Roy should be up there. 
Part of it may be also some murkiness around his departure from the franchise and afterwards. I mean, that's always been a little bit of a gray area. And that's, again, not to take anything away from either side. It just felt like there was some miscommunication, non-communication, separation going on there after, which sometimes takes some time to heal. Same thing happened with Clyde, by the way. Right. So, I mean, they retired his number really late. So I I understand that that happens still. If it's your intent, I think you may need to make that clear. I want to do one thing here, though. I mean, if we could rehearse this, because I took some flack from this actually on Twitter about who those five are. I think the dividing line is clear. I mean, you have Bill Walton who brought the Blazers a championship and was everything for that team. As soon as he went down, yes, there were plenty of other retired numbered players on that team. They did not win or get close to a title. Not even close. Walton was the guy who brought it. There was Drexler, who was so physically dominant that he carried that team to the NBA Finals. Now, that team would have been good without him. But would not, I mean, David Robinson and San Antonio, Phoenix Suns with Kevin Johnson, Tom Chambers, the Blazers would not have been better than them without Clyde. So Clyde was the guy, and you forget how absolutely huge he was. Rasheed yeah. Wallace, again, because he departed, but you all-around player, absolute beast in the playoffs when he turned it on, took the team to the conference finals a couple of times, and people forget his early playoff runs were phenomenal. Brandon Roy had the least success of all of them, but you got to remember where they started. When he was drafted, they were at a negative 10. And if you take from from negative 10 to plus five, you gain 15 there. And then Damian Lillard, whom we all see today. On top of everything else, he's so well loved. I don't know. And maybe there has been talk. And maybe it's going to be a thing like it was with Clyde where it just takes forever to retire it. I don't know. I mean, there's a reason that they don't make the number available to other players. Pick one way or another. If you're going to let them wear it, let them wear it. If you're going to retire it, retire it. Either way, it sounds like a decision has been made because the the sheet came out with the numbers and Mello is listed as double zero. So as of now, at least... That's where it stands. Yeah, and and Roy said he would be okay with it. So if he goes to seven, that's where it will stand. And I don't think it makes a huge difference either way. When I see Carmelo in seven, I'm not going to forget Brandon. No, and I think most of the people that were loud about Melo not wearing number seven changed their tune once Brandon Roy said, hey, you know what? I'd be honored. So I, I don't think it'll continue to be a thing, but it was definitely interesting to watch the back and forth when it came out. Speaking of Mello, he's in an interesting spot. He's going to be taking a kind of different role this season, and that's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, I think so. He's been a starter, obviously, forever. That's actually probably what he wants to be. But he had a decision to make, and and I, I believe that Carmelo probably could have signed a couple places. And he probably could have started in at least one of the other places where he could have signed. But could he have started and won? And if he, his team had not won, 
with him on board, would his reputation, would his uh, basketball ability provide anything that hasn't already been provided? He's obviously not going to go back to his mid-career form. Can he gain anything by starting and losing? At this point, no. That only confirms people's thoughts about him. So I think it was probably a wise decision as well as uh, you know his personal decision to stay with the Blazers and take a bench role. How big of a role, though? Giles, he probably beats out. Who else does Carmelo clearly get ahead of? I mean, Covington? No. No. Zach Collins? Maybe if Zach moves to the five and if you need offense, but the Blazers clearly, unless they've changed their tune or Zach is hurt, the Blazers clearly believe in Zach more than they believe in Melo. However, Zach is hurt. And even when he comes back, you never know if he's going to be on a minute restriction. So he may be in a better position than we think as far as playing for Zach. So he starts at what? Number two with Zach and perhaps Harry nipping at his heels, both young players wanting playoff time, which is great. That's great competition. Uh, But both of them bring definitely a different skill set and different body type than he does. So if you're going to need their body type, Carmelo will not suffice and their skill set. So there is kind of a glass ceiling on his minutes and his role. Now, I think that they'll make it work. All right. But a mid-season trade somewhere would not necessarily surprise me with Melo as a throw-in because I, I'm not oh, sure that no, I'm not sure that he's going to find the fit here. I think he'd be happy staying here, but I don't think he's going to find a fit here that's going to bring it back another year. And I, if they need him for ballast or for cachet in order to make a trade, I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen. Now he's not going to drive a trade, but you know, I, I like that Melo came back. But I don't think this is a long and happy marriage, and I don't think that I don't think this role is probably going to be huge, barring injury. And we're back to disagreeing. I love Melo so much on this team, and the idea of him going somewhere else just hurts my heart. I don't think he wants to go somewhere else, and it would not surprise me if part of why he stayed with the Blazers is in this hopes to make a championship run. You know, I think they truly think they can do it. So it makes me wonder if maybe part of why he stayed is to make that championship run and then retire. I don't know. I mean, he's getting up there in age. I say that as someone who's the same age as him. But man, that's in basketball years. He's not got a lot left in basketball years. And so I don't know. I mean, if he goes somewhere else and like you said, he goes somewhere else and and they play terribly or they lose or whatever, that's, that's a terrible way to go out. I think at least, you know, coming to Portland and staying in Portland even if we don't win anything, he's got this redemption story of, you know, he left the league, he came back, Portland was who brought him back, he stayed loyal to Portland. And if we win nothing, he can go out on that note. And that will be a good note to go out on. Yeah, but if he gets traded to the Clippers or the Sixers, who both have have like a real inside track in their conference to being good if not great, probably you would say the Clippers are ahead of Portland still in terms of their ability or their angle on the championship. And the Sixers, although they may not be empirically better than Portland head-to-head, in that conference probably have a better angle than Portland does in the Western Conference. I could see him going for a trade like that. I, th- I, think, I think his loyalty to Portland is admirable, but I think it's also negotiable. And I think Portland's 
can Portland can rest easy with that because it's not like they're depending on him to play 36 minutes a night. Let's, let me ask you this. In what scenario do you see him having big minutes and a, and a big role? What does he provide that someone else doesn't? I don't. I don't see that. You know, this is where it comes down to I like a whole lot more than just the game. And so for me, or when whoever announced that he was staying with the team, he was signing for the Vets minimum, I happened to be out in Vegas shooting and I legitimately jumped on my hotel bed, jumped up and down on the hotel bed because I was so excited that Mello was staying. And it wasn't because I thought he's going to be so solid for us and he's going to bring us a championship. While I think Mello is a good player, and I think he meshes well with our guys and he plays well with them. And I think there's something to be said for a veteran who has a lot of experience playing in high stress situations and playing against all-star players. I am not naive to the fact that you're exactly right. We're deep enough that we don't necessarily need him. This is painful we would be okay if he had gone somewhere else. But that being said, I don't want him to go somewhere else. I enjoy watching him play. I enjoy the interactions with our team. I would hate to see him on another team. I I would not get the same kind of joy that I do out of seeing him on our team. I would be okay if they traded him and he won a title, frankly, and played any kind of role doing that. No, Dave, no, because we're going to win the title. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Well, that would be the ideal. That, that, that's what I'm most okay with. You are correct. You're, you're taking, you're not only are you taking Mello away from me, but you're telling me another team is going to win the title. Like this is just, you just ruined my night. I, I am sorry. I will, I will lift you up in this way, even though I don't see a huge on-court role. And I'm, I don't want to diminish uh, his ability. I think he still has it. Uh, and yeah. I can see, by the way, like the last second shot deal is pretty good if you need isolation buckets especially from the mid-range fantastic he's other than cj mccollum he's probably the best player the blazers have for that that said those things the blazers don't need (laughs) that much and also defense is suspect now he could also become a great passer facilitator kind of like lebron has although obviously they're different quantity or quality of player right now but if he took that kind of mindset that i'm going to use my experience and my talent to set other people up to make Cantor look good or to make hood look good as well as me looking good i could see that and by the way here's another ray of hope i don't think he had a chance to do that last year because of all the injuries to the team when he was in it was big minutes and he was in there basically to fill that forward spot and score and that's what he did maybe we see a new dimension of his game that's great but other than that here's what i see it's like a veteran wrestler coming back to give the new guy the rub okay damian lillard and cj mccullum being the new guys but they're kind of only sort of stars in the nba i mean they really are they should be but they've played in portland they've been underrated their whole careers people are like constantly forgetting them in the discussion of best guards in the league and here's carmelo who was right out in front who was a mankind or the rock or whatever coming in and saying okay i was this i'm not this anymore but the very fact that i'm around these guys makes this franchise and these players look elevated and there i can see that and also the drive for the title uh, as the two main things that he brings yeah, you know, I, I would love to see what you just said. I think he has the potential to be a player like that. I don't think he used to have the potential to be a player like that. I think he's always been 
a little bit of a selfish player. Yeah, I think that's changed. I think we've seen some changes in his game since he's been in Portland. I would be thrilled to see him come off and just really make plays for other people and really just be a passer. And I that would be that would be like full circle redemption right there. Now consider this lineup then. We seem to name a lineup every podcast, but here's Dia's lineup <laughs> this week. Okay. So you've got probably McCollum at point, but it could be Simons as well. And you've got Trent at the shooting guard, who is a great shooter and can handle a little bit, but is not going to be a creator, right? right. And you got Derek Jones Jr. in there, kind of same thing that he's not going to create for himself. And you got Cantor in there as the reserve center. Now, all of a sudden, Mello as a pivot point in that, if he's able to distribute the ball, looks pretty darn good. Because McCollum or Simons can get him the ball in the post, and then the defense has to respect it. If they don't, he scores. If they do come at him, then the other players move around him, and if he's able to make the pass, he gets them a pretty good shot. So there we, I mean, there's a lineup that kind of resurrects what you're hoping for. See, every time we talk about this, I just get more and more excited. This is why I love preseason, because we're going to get to, well, maybe, maybe we're going to get to see some of these. If we get to see these things, if we get to see these different lines, man. This is, this is, I'm excited again. Notice how in 60 seconds we took Dia from giving (laughs) up, like, oh, there's no hope for the future ever, to all of a sudden on top of the world. So, I mean, that's a podcast right there, I suppose. Just for the record, never once in my 30 plus years of being a Blazers fan have I ever thought there was no hope. We could be down 40 points with three minutes to go, and I would think there was hope. So, that's maybe a little bit of a stretch, but I see where you're going with that. I mean, could be, but, uh, you know, uh, didn't draft Chris Paul because they had Sebastian Telfair and they're down 40 points in the game. Has that changed it? I will never not think that we can win until we are actually out. Until the point where we they, they tell us to go home, our season is over. Up until that point, I will always believe that there is a chance that we will win the championship. Always, 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 always. When you go to a game in person, do you stay till the final buzzer no matter what happens? Oh, yes. In fact, I mean, again, I live in L.A., so I'm going to the Staples Center. And I refuse to go to Laker games because I, the Laker fans at Laker games, when we play, the, I, can't, I can't handle it. But what happens is I end up typically in areas where I'm surrounded by Clippers fans. and. Typically, by the end of the game, all the people around me are concerned for my well-being because I have not sat down the entire game. I have paced and yelled and put my hands on my head and on my knees and, you know, just, I, I just, I am a sight at games. I, I, I cannot, I could not be somebody who went as a fan to every game because I would probably cut my life expectancy in half. We need to get you together with my son. Have I ever told you this story? So <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. So first two Blazer games. We went to Blazer's Edge night and went to one other that was really close to that. Okay. He had never been. It was a trip to Portland with his dad. It was great. It was, it was a couple years ago. And he'd never been in person to a basketball game. He kind of knew what it was about. But, you know, if you're not really invested in it, you're not sure what's going on, and you're a kid, it's like, okay, this is cool, but what? Yeah. And then he heard people chanting, like, let's go Blazers, let's go, or whatever, right? So he looks around. I could see his eyes, like, looking at me. You know, we're in the Moda Center, so it's huge. 
His eyes look around to the ceiling, to the people all around. All of a sudden, it's quiet. And here's this little voice next to me. Let's go, Blazers. Let's go. Clap, clap. Right? And all of a sudden, the sections picked it up. And he did that. And he was like his eyes. It was like Christmas. And he was hooked forever. And the <laughs> chanting and the everything. So you and he, I need to send him to a game with you. Right? While I'm sitting there writing about it and analyzing it, you two can go crazy and pace and jump up and down and lead cheers. Yeah, I took my daughter who's seven. She'll be eight next week. But I took her to a game, her first game this last this last. Well, I guess it wasn't last season. Well, it was last. It was was last season before everything shut down. And man, that feels like years ago. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she soaked it up. I was a little more calm when I realized I had to be responsible for an eight-year-old, and I couldn't just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> do mama dear. So that yeah, that calmed me down a little. But I'm afraid that this might be genetic. Oh wow. no, no, I have I have seen your daughter and you could tell by the photos it's genetic. It's it's not just the looks, it's the attitude. Like, oh my gosh, do not get in the way of that eight-year-old. It is funny. Okay, we have to talk about I because I know we don't have a whole lot more time, but we have to talk about James Harden. Because right now, Blazer's Twitter is all a buzz about the Blazers getting James Harden, which I've got opinions about. We did I've this. We did this before anybody else did this. You and I literally did this a couple of weeks ago. What? What was it? Yeah. The all not on my team team. Yep. Yeah, I'm pretty certain that Harden was not on my team. Yeah. What? Wasn't that unanimous? We wasn't he the one guy that both of us picked? I, I think he was. The guy's a fantastic basketball player. He can put the orange ball in the net with the best of them. He is a great player. That being said, I mean, it's only, we're only four episodes in here, but you've probably heard me say about 30 times already about the culture and the community of the Portland Trailblazers. And James Harden would be a sliver in the finger of that culture. The man isn't going to his practice. He's out at all these places he's not supposed to be at instead of being at practice because he's throwing a whiny crybaby fit about not being on the team he wants to be on. A sliver in the finger, he'd be a bazooka in the back. I mean, <laughs> just, okay, look to just look at the COVID angle that you just mentioned. I mean, I am, a yeah. look, it's one thing I get players forcing trades or whatever. Uh, I'm staying at home. I Call me when you've got a reasonable offer. I'm not coming in. Okay, I don't like it. But okay, that's within the realm of possibility for me, for an NBA player. Not on the Blazers. Uh, yeah, but uh, but I'm not coming in, and I'm you're going to see me all around town at all these parties and all this stuff. I'm going to be in Vegas, which he apparently was, or what have you. And now, not only am I not coming in, I can't come in because you can't guarantee that I'm virus-free, and I violated the heck out of protocols when I should be at work and remaining somewhat isolated, at least. Okay, right there tells you everything you need to know about. Now, again, he is a human being. He is has self-agency. He is able to do what he wants. Not judging him for that decision in a bubble, but mix that with who the trailblazers are. That's a problem for me. I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm judging him a little. I'm judging him a little because he's out there doing this stuff. I mean, I, I agree with you. I am not a fan of forcing trades. I don't like the whole 
concept of that. It just really torques me when you're looking at these guys who have signed contracts and made deals with these teams. And I know, I know how it works. I get it. I know. But that being said, like to just not show up and to throw a little fit because you're not where you want to be. I just, I'm not for that. Fine. If that's how we do things, that's how we do things. People do that. It happens. Okay, fine. Putting that aside, we are in the middle of a pandemic. In Southern California, where I live, we are on lockdown. Restaurants are no longer open indoors or outdoors. You cannot go places. Small businesses are shutting down. All this stuff is happening. And I know it's not just here, but this is where I'm at. So that's what I'm using as an example. And in the midst of all of this, this basketball star who gets paid millions of dollars a year to the point that they can't even trade him because no one can absorb his contract is out there partying it up, not being safe. I mean, you can tell he's not being safe. You can't, you can't, it's just, it's so irresponsible. And so to me, when you're in the public eye to the extent that he is right now, because everyone knows he doesn't want to be in Houston, he wants to go somewhere else. He's trying to force a trade. And so they're watching him. And to be doing that kind of crap just really makes me angry. And I guess this is a whole nother argument for a whole nother day. But to me, I have a kid that looks at these players and thinks that they are amazing. And, and I know that she's not the only one. And granted, she's eight. She has very little contact with them. But these guys are I hate to use the word role model because I know that's not what they signed up for and all that other stuff. But at the same time, like there are eyes on them. And for him to choose to take the irresponsible route instead of just sticking his butt on his couch and waiting until they call him just twerks me. Well, I mean, forget the kids looking up to him. He's the face of that franchise. There's players are looking to him. I right. mean, he is he is the centerpiece and he will demand to be the centerpiece both right. on the court and off the court wherever he goes. He will usurp that role. That's who he is and wants to be. Yeah. yeah. If you're going to carry that role and you can do it, more power to you, but you can't do this. Right. No, I mean, you can, no. you can't, his teammates are looking to him and they've got to be shaking and their heads. The country in itself, the adults in our country struggle with, well, do we go out? Do we stay in? Do we follow the rules? Do we not? And so then again, like, you're right. It's not just about kids. It's about the players. It's about the league. It's about the fan. There's just, there's way too much on the line, in my opinion, health wise, safety wise, influence wise to be throwing a fit and going to Vegas. Yeah. I just, I don't get it. Yeah, I, I, get I it. stand corrected. That I, I can see. Like, it's it's a slap in the face to people who are actually working hard to contain this, who are giving up stuff to yeah. to make sure they're safe, and the people who are treating them and, and putting their lives at risk to f- help people who have this virus. I get that. I mean, I don't want to lean too hard on it. It's not that kind of podcast, but right, you've right. convinced me in that way. Let's talk about on the court a little bit too. Oh, that's, a, I mean, it, it's the same thing. It's exactly, I don't know if it was my turn. I just kind of took over, but it was. <laughs> <laughs> that's, and that's the podcast. <laughs> Go for it. You got me fired up. And when I Dia get has the up, ball, Dave's in the corner. Like, hey, I'm open. I'm open. Dia's like, which is exactly I'm, how it would be if James Harden was on the Blazers. I'm just saying, Dia Miller, the James the Harden of the Dave and Dia podcast. Please don't ever say that again. <laughs> Nobody else can see your beard. Don't worry. Oh man, it's you know he he's just he needs the ball and. 
he also needs to be the face of the franchise. You know, we are fortunate enough to have Dame, who I think it, I got to I got to calm down. I'm starting to get all red again. We are fortunate enough to have, and I'm not going to do this every week, just for the record. You should. I, the, <laughs> the amount of spittle on the webcam is impressive. <laughs> we are fortunate enough to have Dame, who is a class act, on and off the court. And if we had someone on the team like Harden who needed to have the ball, I have a hunch that he would have the ball because that's the kind of player that Dame is. Dame would work around that and he'd figure out a way to make it happen. That being said, if my life is on the line and James Harden or Damian Lillard has to have the ball and I have to choose, I'm choosing Damian Lillard every single time. Every single time. I'm never choosing James Harden. If my life is on the line, Dame gets the ball. Well, and you know else, who else would have to work around that? Literally every other player on the team. Yeah. And that's yeah. who had suffered. Maybe Dame would keep his head above water. I think they'd find a way to work that out. But everybody right. else, just forget it. All right? Yeah. And that's, A, a problem because they just acquired all these players. And, B, this is the anti-Terry Stotts offense. And, and would yep. the Blazers... Okay, this is the argument on social media. You don't know how talented he is. Yes, I do. We, we watched him try to We've carve apart the big, yeah, 50 point games against the Blazers in the playoffs. Get it. <laughs> Got it. Good. In what style? In what? Right. What right. about his game makes you think that that's going to change or elevate what the Blazers have? Because it's with him, it's a zero sum game or closer to it because of the he has to be stationary. He has to hold the ball and not just have it, but hold it for a long time. And everybody else has to work around that and nobody else yep. is touching it. On what planet does that work with the Stotts offense? And what planet does that work with Yusuf Nurkic? Who absolutely, one. yeah, is a, is a pivot in the middle who is multi-talented, who would completely go to waste. As I assume you trade CJ away to make that trade. Yeah. But, you know, CJ, look, he's a great mid-range scorer, but he moves quickly. He doesn't stand in one spot when he has the ball, even when he keeps it. And he's shown a willingness to pass. James Harden does none of that. James Harden does not play defense. James Harden will systematically suck the oxygen out of this offense and inhale it all you're going to end up about even probably with all of his talent at best you're going to end up even and we've seen what happens in the playoffs with james harden so i don't see any advantage i see huge cultural disadvantage and you know what yes we've seen him play dia and i i think still say no yep. If yep. you want to call us dumbasses Every for that, time. I mean, you talking to us? You talking to I us? Will Let's own go. That. I will. You call me that. I will own that label if it means we don't get James Harden. <laughs> I, you know, the thing, the thing is, at what cost? At what cost would it be? Because we're sitting here as Rip City saying, hey, Neil, you did great this offseason. We like this team. It's deep. We've got talent. We've got skill. Oh, but wait, let's take James Harden, who's going to completely throw off our entire culture and trade away half our team for him. Or at least CJ. At least CJ. Why? Why on earth would you trade a player and a guy like CJ for James Harden? You wouldn't. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. I wouldn't. <laughs> and I think, <laughs> I think 
I think it just, it, you're exactly right too. Like it would just throw, it would just, no, it would just on every level. No, I do not. This is not me saying that James Harden sucks as a basketball player. I said at the beginning of this rant, I recognize he has talent, but one player does not make a team. One player does not take a team team to a championship. It's the entire culture. It's an entire team working together. And James Harden can't do that with the trailblazers as they stand. Now, the counter argument to what you just said is going to be, okay, Olshay did have a good offseason for Portland, meaning he took in players that fit the system and that are going to be complementary, but he still did not get anything near a star, which has been the big complaint that Portland can't make that kind of deal. And I can see that. I mean, that is accurate. And it may be that the Blazers trades and acquisitions and re-signings and signings that they made are not going to take them over the top. And I can agree with that too. That said, just because you think the Blazers need a star doesn't mean the Blazers need that star. Because, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I'm just going to say that as many times as possible. They don't. It would just be, it would be a nightmare. I saw a thread on Twitter today where they were saying people were getting as far as saying trade Dame for Harden. What? And I was like, yeah. And I said, if the Trailblazers ever in the history of the NBA ever in life trade Damian Lillard for James Harden, I am going to have to reevaluate some life choices. There are not beer goggles thick enough to make me make that move. What? Who? In their right mind. Or even trade CJ. Mean, oh, okay. I'll go for this, Dia. Here, you're really going to like me. Ready? I would not trade Dame for him. I would not trade CJ for him. Nope. I would not trade anyone else for him either. Nope. If they're going nope. like, we want Nasir Little and Ant and Harry Giles and we'll, we'll nope. somehow make this contract thing work. No deal. No, no yeah. Sorry, no, you can take that because it's just, yeah, it's not a square peg fitting into a round hole. It's a square peg trying to fit into no hole that's going to break the whole table if you try to put it on. Let him, I mean, Philadelphia, Philadelphia may be able to do this, frankly. I don't know. We'll see how he can work with Joel Embiid or whatever. I can see a couple other places that might want to try, not Portland. Absolutely agree. Ant Simon's backup point guard. It's been a little a bit of a thing. People are kind of up in arms about it. You like him though. I, I, I like Ant. You know, I'm not, I'm not completely delusional when it comes to actual ability to play. I recognize the fact that there are flaws with him. I recognize the fact that he is not going to be perfect in that position. I recognize the fact that he is young and needs some work. But I also recognize the fact that Dame's going to play 35 minutes at that spot. CJ is going to come in and play some time at that spot. So really, Ant, I mean, we kind of touched on this before. Ant is probably not going to be spending a ton of time doing that. And so, yeah, we could have maybe gotten a veteran player to be a backup point guard. But at what, again, at what cost? Who are we giving away? What are we giving away for that position when we have someone who is capable of doing it? Well, and they weren't going to go into the luxury tax to try it. Right. I mean, right. that's that's a big part of the equation here. And that's smart. They don't want to get into the tax. You're, you're talking about a marginal player, which may have made a difference. But is that player going to make a championship difference? If not, then you're risking the repeater tax and a whole lot of money to make an incremental improvement. They just weren't going to do that. But here's the thing. What 
point guard, particularly reserve point guard, is going to be perfect. And there are a couple of point guards out there who do play defense who might have been able to help the Blazers. Do they also shoot? If they don't, then what is that going to do to the second unit? And if they do, why are they going to come to Portland to play nine minutes a game? Right. right. I mean, that's, so you're kind of in a no win situation there. But what can Anthony Simons do? Okay. He can score. Yeah. He will be aggressive. He will make stake mistakes of commission rather than omission. Right. He can shoot the three or at least try it. He doesn't yeah. play great defense yet. So be it. But you know what? Here's a secret ingredient that nobody talks about Simons can play on ball or off yep. ball. Yep, right? absolutely. And that is very much that's Lillard does the same thing and McCollum does the same thing and he yep. fits in that way. You don't necessarily yep. hobble Simons by saying somebody else is going to handle this possession because look, right. he's not going to be a great catch and shoot guy. I get it, but he's still a threat. So, yep. yeah, and he's also, by the way, he can run, which is something you hope the Blazers do. There's a hundred reasons kind of to like him in this role, even if you don't think he's a championship caliber point guard as a starter or a reserve. You can see why the Blazers went with him. Again, maybe this is a naive view, but I have a tendency to trust the things that I hear Dame say. And I think that Dame has a lot of pull and a lot of influence over decisions that are made. And he's saying he trusts Ant in this spot. And so the guy who's playing with him day in and day out, the guy who's playing first string position day in and day out of, of what they want Ant to do says that Ant can do this, then you got to kind of believe that Ant can do it. And, and, you know, you never know what they're seeing that we're not. And, and every, the other thing that I like about this that I didn't mention, I, you know, I wrote about this the other day and I didn't mention this part, but I like the fact that Ant came here. He was drafted to Portland. So his entire NBA identity is wrapped up in Portland. And I think that's a positive thing when you've got guys like Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, because they can help to shape him to be the kind of player that they are. And I think going forward, you know, we're going to lose some of these older guys several years down the road. They're not going to be with us anymore. And so if we can build and shape players that we have, to play in in the ways that are working for us that's a positive day in and day out yeah you've touched on it right there that was the final point i was going to make was that okay can you gain let's say two units of abstract production from a better point card right now yes but if those if your team's more than two units of production away from a title doesn't really change things What's this going to be like in five years that player that you bring in and you you edge out simons is that player still going to be here? Is that player going to be your starter? Is that player going to be a star? They still kind of hope that Simons can develop, if not exactly into those things, then into something close, right? Right. So this is a this is a move that's prudent because you're not exposing yourself much with those minutes or that position, but your investment could pay huge dividends down the road, and I don't think they want to squash that. So yeah, I mean, I have, look, would I be more comfortable with a defensive player there who could also score? Yes, Blazers weren't going to get that. And, you know, in the absence of that, Simons is fine. I agree. I agree. I, You know, again, I mean, the more we talk about this, the more excited I am for this season. I think it's going to be a great season. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch these guys this year. 
just seeing the bits and pieces that are coming out from the team, the the video clips and things. I'm 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 stoked. I'm excited. Yep. And as always, it's been uh, wonderful talking to you and wonderful having you listeners along with us. I am going to take a squeegee to my monitor after the latest Dia (laughs) eruption and try to get it back to mint condition. Uh, And we will see you guys again next week after I get an umbrella and (laughs) hopefully waterproof this thing. Uh, We hope you will join us again. We will have some preseason games under our belt, more things to talk about, and more fun to be had. Until then, for Dia Miller, I'm Dave Deckard, and we'll see you again very soon. This has been Dave and Dia, a Blazer's Edge production. Find more basketball talk at blazersedge.com. Watch your step as you exit, and we hope to see you again soon. Dave and Dia, what is that? A Swedish skin cream company?